So here we are. We're at church. Someone were to ask you why you go to church. What would you tell them? Just think of the answer in your mind. Uh, why bother? Why go to church? We've been, over the past uh, few weeks, and uh, we'll be wrapping up next week, trying to answer that question, why bother? Why, why go to church? What should church be about? And we've put together a little statement here that we think is uh, some reasons from the Bible on what church should be all about, that we should be a gospel community worshiping, serving, and growing together. And so we've been talking about, over the past couple weeks, some of these elements of uh, this reason we've put together for church. We've talked about the gospel. We've talked about community. We've talked about worship. And this morning, we're going to talk about service and try to come up with this uh, answer to the question, why bother? Why go to church? What should church do for us? What should we be doing as we participate in church? What is church all about? So this morning we're going to look at what it means to serve as part of the church. What is service? And by way of setting that up, we'll do a little review of last week when we talked about what is worship. Because service... When we talk about it in the context of what the Bible says service to God ought to be, it really is wrapped up in, in uh, this idea of what worship should be. In fact, worship and service are the, the two sides of the same coin. They're, they're, they're tightly interrelated. And so yesterday as we looked at worship, uh, last week as we looked at, at worship, we came up with this idea that worship is, is this uh, feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for God. So it's an inner attitude that leads to outward acts. All right, so feeling and expression of reverence and adoration for God. So it has these two components of an inner attitude of worship, of reverence and adoration, which translates into outward acts of worship. We focused last week primarily on the inner attitude piece. Today, we're going to talk about the outward act of worship, the, the service that comes from that inner attitude. It's all worship, okay? But we can focus on these two aspects, inner attitude, outward action. Both of them very tightly related to one another. And the way we're going to look at this, the, the passage in the Bible that we're going to focus on to help us kind of fill out this idea of what service looks like is in Hebrews chapter 9. So Hebrews 9, we're going to look at a, about 14 uh, verses here in this chapters, pretty dense and tightly packed uh, descriptions, but it, it 
has woven through it the idea of what worship truly is. And so as we read, uh, read the passage, let's, let's think in terms of, of how worship and service are tied together. These first five verses, well, the whole, the whole passage, but primarily these first five verses that we're going to look at, it's important for us to understand as we come to the Bible that there's a, there's a background understanding there that is perhaps a bit different than our background understanding of what worship and service looks like. This was written a long time ago, and there, was a certain, uh, uh, there were certain assumptions back then on what it meant to worship and serve God, which are probably different than our day-to-day um, experience of worship. So let, let's, t- let's take a look at the background of the ancient world, the, the world of the New Testament, when um, the Bible, the New Testament, was written. Hebrews 9, verse 1, beginning of verse 1. The first covenant, that is the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, the law of Moses, the first covenant had regulations for worship, underscore that phrase, regulations for worship. We're going to come back to it. First Covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room with a lampstand, the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place had a golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the atonement cover but we can't discuss these things in detail now. It seems like there's a lot of discussion there, but there's a lot more detail that we could give. So we've got a picture here of a setting for worship that was common, uh, exhibited the common understanding of what worship and service to God look like in the ancient world. And so this is a description of the tabernacle that God told the children of Israel right when they had left Egypt, told them how to put this together so that they could properly worship and serve the God who led them out of Egypt. And that tabernacle, a tent that traveled with them, would be torn down every time they'd, they'd move and then set up as soon as they set up camp. And they would worship and serve God in this tabernacle. This became the pattern for later the temple that was built in Jerusalem. And it was the temple uh, uh, that was uh, destroyed by the enemies of Israel in the ancient world, then rebuilt in, in the time of Jesus, when you read about Jesus going to Jerusalem and doing things in and around the temple. This was the pattern that was... Used And without going into detail, because it says right there in uh, verse 5, the point isn't to give a, a history lesson here, but um, 
We won't go into deep detail on this, but there are a few things that we need to pay attention to because this is how they understood worship and service of God in the ancient world and in the Jewish setting in particular from which Jesus and the disciples came and, and Jesus showed us a different way. So there's a few things for us to focus our attention on. So God is inside this tabernacle. God, or later on, the temple. God is inside and the people gather outside. That's important to recognize. Makes sense, right? God's important and we're just people and so God's inside, we're outside, we come to God, but we don't get all the way to God. That was the understanding, right? God's inside, people gather outside. But there's a priest or different priests that get inside and bring the gifts to God. God's inside, people can't go inside. People gather outside, they bring their gifts, and then the priests bring the gifts inside. And the primary gift, there's different gifts, and there's a couple of different things that are mentioned there. There's bread, there's, there's uh, incense that's, that's offered, but the primary gift was the sacrifice, the animal sacrifice that was given, and, and the blood especially was brought inside. The sacrifice would be offered outside, and the smoke would rise up to the heavens as a picture of an offering to God, and the blood would be brought inside and, and, and sprinkled on that inner sanctuary, in the inner sanctuary, on that Ark of the Covenant that represented the throne of God. So that's, let's face it, sounds kind of weird to us probably, right? So imagine, imagine if going to church today meant bringing your lamb. And then when you get to church, Nick and I would kill the lamb and then offer it up on a altar and bring some of the blood inside this room that you couldn't go. That's, that's a little weird. All right, but that was the understanding back then. That's what it meant to worship and to serve God. Okay, the passage goes on, though and says, but there's a reason why we don't do that now. Let's keep reading, okay? Before we do, excuse me, i got to go back, because I said to underscore it at the time I, I, I read it, and uh, we're, we're going to continue to underscore it through the, uh, through the passage. That's the kind of the background of worship, but there in verse 1, it says, now the first covenant had regulations for Worship. That phrase, regulations for worship, that's, that's one word in the, in, in, in the Greek that the, the, the passage was originally written in. And without going into too much detail on all kinds of you know, ancient languages and this stuff, I know we're giving a history lesson. It's, poor, it's important, though. This word, this particular word, shows up through this passage, it shows up here in verse 1, it shows up in verse 6, verse 9, and verse 14. It's the same word, the same root word, and it's a word for worship. It's a worship word. But it's a worship word that has to do with the outward action of worship. Okay, last week we looked at a worship word that kind of focuses on the inner attitude. And both 
parts are important. An inner attitude of, of reverence and adoration to God, which then translates into a, an outward act. This word is the outward act word of worship. And we could translate it, we could, we could think of it this way, as sacred service. Okay? Sacred service. You know, you know what that means? It's, it's service directed toward God. Okay? And so this ancient setting with the temples and sacrifices and priests and the people and all that, um, there, there was sacred service that took place. There were acts of worship that took place in that setting. So let's keep that in mind. All right, let's drive on now. Verse 6 said, When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry out their ministry. Ministry, underscore that word. That's that same word. Sacred service, worship, the outward act of worship. They carried on their sacred service, their worship. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that they'd committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this, bless you, that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Worshiper, again, same word, the sacred server. In this case, it's talking not just about the priests that went inside to where God was, but everybody that brought a gift, they were all engaged in sacred service and worship actions of adoration to God. But there was something missing here. It wasn't able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They're only a matter of food, drink, various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. So you can see here in this passage, the, there's a transition taking place from the first verses we read about how things used to be done to now, wait a minute, there's something that doesn't quite take care of what we, as those who desire to serve and worship God, doesn't quite take care of our condition as we seek to do this. There's something missing. And so there's a disconnect between the outer and the inner aspects of worship and service. It's not that the people in the Old Testament, the people before Jesus, that they didn't care, that they had no inner spiritual life, that they didn't care about um, having a heart for God. They certainly did. However, offering sacrifices and going to the temple didn't deal with the stuff in the heart that got in the way of true worship. And so, in this transition that's happening in the book of Hebrews, there's something going on that Jesus is about to do something to take care of that disconnect between heart 
and actions. Jesus is going to take care of the heart in a certain way. So let's take a look at that. Verse 11. But when Jesus came as high priest, when Jesus came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not part of this creation. He didn't enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? That word serve in verse 14. Again, it's that worship word, sacred service, so that we may serve, that we may worship, that we may outwardly show what inwardly is taking place in our heart when we come to Jesus. We may outwardly show sacred service to the living God. So we've been talking for few weeks now about what it means to be a gospel community, worshiping, serving, growing together. Here's the gospel. Here is the foundation of what it means to be a worshiper, to be a server, to have a relationship as a community of people to God. It is all based on the gospel. We talked about the gospels being that good news that Jesus brings heaven to earth. You see that here, right? He enters a, a more perfect tabernacle. That is, he entered heaven itself after he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And he made a way for us before God to have our hearts, or in this case, it's mentioned our consciences, the same thing, our insides cleaned by what he did on the cross. So I don't know about you, but I mean, all this talk about blood and sacrifice and, and, and that stuff, I mean, I get it. I've, I've been raised in it. I've been part of the church for most of my life and uh, spend time in the Bible. It's all over the place there, but it's really not part of our day-to-day -day life for most of us this idea of blood sacrifice and it kind of taking away some kind of, uh, you know, dealing with the disconnect between us and God. But it was all over the ancient world. They understood it. And because it was part of the ancient world, when Jesus died on the cross, it made perfect sense. Oh, he became our ultimate sacrifice. So we might not live in a world where temples and, and sacrifices and, and, and burning things on altars so that the smoke goes up to God. That might not be our context. We do know about a kind of sacrifice, don't we? We do know about somebody that 
sacrificially gives themselves to others. You can think of uh, somebody that serves their country in the armed services and they go and they fight their nation's war and they fall on the battlefield. They've sacrificed themselves for their country. We understand that. A parent, perhaps a, a, a mom who has a, uh, you know, had this experience of going to school or going through training and then uh, getting a job and, and doing well in the company and then uh, perhaps have, having a baby and deciding to step away from that, sacrificing their career for their child or a father as well. We understand that, right? Giving, giving up something precious for something more precious. Think of sacrifice, personal sacrifices in a lot of ways. We can think of it personally when we uh, <clears throat> perhaps want to get physically healthier. And so, so uh, we, we have to change some of the way, ways we live and we give up something, maybe certain foods that we like or sleeping in uh, in the morning so that we can get up early and exercise and giving up certain things so that we, we can sacrifice certain things that aren't we might like that aren't good for us so that we can get something better. We understand what sacrifice is. Jesus, Jesus did that, right? The idea, all of that together, it, it makes sense when you think of the fact that Jesus left heaven to come to earth and live just like us and, and did nothing wrong, in fact, spent his life serving others and trying to inspire others to a better way and, and for his effort was killed by a corrupt system. Killed, nailed on the cross. That's a sacrifice and we can understand sacrifice. Giving up something for something more important. We're what's more important to Jesus. His life. In fact, his experience as life, eternal life in heaven was given up to come to earth because he wanted us, the church. He gave up his life. He suffered for us, the church. And he's risen from the grave and gone into heaven and, and he desires to present his sacrifice to God as a gift. Say, because I've given this, I want you to accept those that I did it for, the church. That's the gospel. When he does that, and when we respond to that, heaven comes to earth in and around the worshiper, and, and hearts are cleansed, and then when the worshipers get together, that's called the church. And together we worship and serve the one who's given his life for us. And that worship involves an inner attitude of gratitude and an outward action, outward actions that show that we love the one who gave his life for us. And that service, that outward action, that sacred service, it takes many forms. And... Um, Let's, let's talk about three ways as we kind of wrap up our time. We're going to look at one more passage of Scripture, piggybacking on this description in Hebrews 9. We're going to look at one more passage of Scripture over in uh, 
in Romans verse 12, and we looked at one of these verses. We're going to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2 today. We looked at one last week and see how this comes together. Let's look at three different ways that worship and service work together in our lives in practical ways, how we can do this, how we as a church can do it together in the way that God desires us to worship and serve. Let me read the verses first. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, Apostle Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, what he did for us through his son, that sacrifice, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. There's that worship word again. Same word, sacred service, outward action. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, mind, conscious, heart, inner life, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect word. Here's the two sides of that one coin of worship and service, inner, inner attitude, outward action, what it means to be worshipers and servers together of God. Tell a story before... I give you the three different aspects of worship and service that I see here. Story about my grandmother. So my grandmother was uh, was a um, a very singularly focused woman. Let me let me say it that way. So for her probably the most important thing that I observed, she didn't tell me this, but I observed it as one of her grandchildren, the most important things for her was to gather the family together around a meal. And it was obvious that this was important to her. She would, at, at holidays when, when um, her, her two children, my mom, and her brother would get together with their families at her house in this house that she and my grandfather lived in, which was way too small for the number of people that we had in the house. When we'd get together uh, at, at holidays, and usually either Thanksgiving or Christmas, probably not both holidays in the same year, that everybody would get together because my uh, uncle and his family were coming up from Long Island, and they would typically only do it once a year, and it would alternate between Thanksgiving or Christmas, but you get the idea. A big family gathering in this little house. All these people, cots lined up in hallways and, and uh, you know, sleeping bags, and, and, you know, if you had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you're going to step on five people on the way. Is that kind of setting and and my grandmother the the day of the meal whatever meal thanksgiving or christmas she'd be up early and she'd been preparing it for a long preparing for it for a long time she'd get up early and the and the kitchen would be full of uh, the the activity of the smells of of 
the, the bustle of getting ready for this meal. And she really didn't want a lot of help. She wanted to do it herself. She, she was all about preparing this meal. She was happy and she was working hard. You could tell. She uh, had a smile on her face the whole time. And then whenever it was time for the meal, typically the cousins would be in the, the living room and the downstairs of this house was just a living room and a kitchen both about the same size with a kitchen table and then there were other tables set up to accommodate all the food and all the people and folding chairs and that kind of things, those kinds of things. And um, so we'd be in the living room, the cousins, my grandfather would be there and others would be sitting around and, and uh, you know, it was just about time to eat. And my grandmother would say to my grandfather, Francis, that's his name, Francis, come on in. Eat while it's hot. And my grandfather, who, I'm going to be honest, didn't always listen to my grandmother with the level of attention, perhaps, that um, my grandmother would have liked from him. When it was time to eat that dinner, he would jump out of his chair and start moving. And as a little kid, I remember thinking, I want to play a little bit longer. I don't want my food so hot. It's too hot. Called her Nana. Nana, it's too hot. I'm just going to play. It's too hot. I'll play here a little bit. And, uh, and, and so my grandfather, who knew better, he'd be ahead of us. And then my mother or somebody would come in and grab us. She didn't grab us by the ear. That would be an exaggeration, but kind of. It felt like it. Drag us into the other room and would sit down. And... There in front of these heaping piles of, of, of food and delicious smells and all the family gathered together, my grandmother would sit down for the first time of the day and look up and see the food that she had prepared and her family gathered and she would smile. Take that picture and let's transport it to what God desires from his church. First aspect of worship that is important for us to understand as we think of worship and service together as two sides of the same coin. What is worship and service in the church supposed to look like? It's supposed to look like the worship, worshipers gathered around God's table. Worshippers gathered around God's table. The Israelites, the days of the tabernacle, the temple, just made sense to them when they were engaged in worship and service, they would come and they would gather together and bring their gifts to God. We've gotten away from that. And it's understandable, right? Because um, we live in a different time, a different place. And I've heard it said many times, and I, I know that it's a fairly common uh, 
perception, but it's a dangerous one because it isn't what God wants for his people. People will say, why do I need to go to church? I can worship God in my living room, right? It's true that there's an element of devotion that can come from the heart in our living room. However, that's not a substitute from God's people gathered together for worship and service. Like my grandmother presiding over the meal that she had laid out for her children and grandchildren, that element of gathering together, it isn't just about us as those at the table. It's about the one who prepared the meal. All she asked, my grandmother asked, was that we get there while the dinner was hot and then enjoy it together as a family. As worshipers in the church, coming to church and gathering together, we bring gifts to God that he will, uh, he desires from his people that can only happen when God's people are gathered together around the table. First aspect of worship and service is that we need to do it together as God's people, and that makes God happy. Amazing thing. Think about it. We come together. We sit down around the Lord's table, around the worship of the Lord. That makes God happy. We don't do it. God misses us. That's amazing. First aspect of worship is that worship involves gathering together. Second aspect is it involves service together. So these worship words, these worship words that talk about the inner aspect of, of worship, a heart attitude, there's words, and we've looked at them today, and it's there in Romans 12 as well, the, 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 that focus on the outward action, a sacred action, a sacred service to the Lord. When we serve one another, God's pleased with that too. So when we gather together, there's a, an aspect of serving one another that happens in the simple act of gathering together. What happens around the table? What happened around my grandmother's table? Once she had prepared the meal and we were all there and we got there, for when it's hot, what do, you, what do you have to do? You have to have table manners. You pass this and that and everybody gets some. And, and uh, it, it's simple stuff. But that simple stuff impacts one another. And so when we gather together as God's people, around God's table, around worship to him, by being together, we serve one another. There's something about getting out of wherever it is we start the day at on Sunday morning, bed, right? Getting out of bed, it starts there. And uh, getting whatever people we're accounted for, uh, accountable for kids, whatever, getting them to come together. And then that hard work of getting, because that doesn't happen by accident, right? There's an inertia that makes us kind of want to stay in bed and stay at home and say, you know, why do I need, I can worship at home, whatever. We, when we get here, when we get here, there's something that happens to one another. If we're honest with ourselves, if we're paying attention, we serve one another as we offer our gifts to the Lord, as we sing, 
together, as, as we uh, um, take communion together, even as we read scripture together. We serve one another. There's something that happens there. So worshipers gathered, worshipers serving one another. Then there's a third aspect of worship, and it's particularly uh, poignant and, and clear in Romans 12, 1 and 2, a third aspect of worship that is important for us to grasp is that when we gather together as God's people, as we worship God and then serve one another, when we scatter, we bring heaven with us. When we scatter, if the gospel is, is, the, is Jesus bringing heaven to earth and when God's people are gathered together in worship, there's a taste of heaven there. When we scatter from that experience, we bring heaven with us and we're able to engage in everyday acts of worship that have a powerful impact on this world that we live in. Notice Romans 12, 1, it says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is true and proper worship. Sacrifice is a gift to God. The ancient worshipers brought them to the temple and offered them to God, and they were brought in the holy place and offered to God. Jesus has taken that away. He's provided one sacrifice that takes care of our sin. Then we can come as sacrifices ourselves to God and serve him by giving ourselves to God. But when does that happen? That happens any time we give up something and offer it to God. Something that we care about that is given up for something we care about more. Have you ever experienced sacrifice in your life? Maybe something didn't go the way you wanted it to go and so something that you wanted to happen didn't happen and something else did did you know that you can offer that up as a sacrifice to God and say God I'm going to do this for you has there ever been a situation when you've uh, had to experience hardship and you wish you didn't have to, but there it was. It was inevitable at work and family, whatever it is. And, and it, just, it wasn't fun. It hurt. You know, you can offer that up as a sacrifice to God, an act of sacred service and say, God, I do this for you. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice because life is filled with sacrifices, if we can make those sacrifices, turn that pain into an offering to God, an act of worship, it still hurts. It's still hard. It's still difficult to go through. However, rather than suffering for nothing, we suffer for something, and that is we give God our worship, sacred service. And it turns that sacrifice into something deeply personal and meaningful, and it brings heaven to earth if we acknowledge God in that pain. So that takes some renewing of our mind, doesn't it? It takes some different thinking. 
But that's what worship is all about. Worship, we gather together. We serve one another. And then we go out and we offer all our aspects of life as a sacrifice of worship to the God who loves us. So why do we come to church? Why are we part of God's people? Because God loves us. And he wants us to come together. And he takes delight when we gather together as God's people. Let's pray together. So, Father, we're grateful for your goodness and your love shown to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you'd help us to uh, recognize our minds to be renewed, our consciences to be cleared, our hearts to be in tune to your love to us through Jesus so that we can be your people and that we can gather and then we can scatter and we can show what it means to be a gospel community. We pray in Jesus' holy name.